All right, well, hey, good morning, First Baptist Faith family. Uh, it's, it's good to be here with you this morning. And uh, I got to tell you, um, and I got to ask you, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm feeling particularly weak this morning. Um, and so, but I, I'm so thankful that I serve the God that in my weakness, that's when he is strong. And so would you just spend a moment, would you pray uh, for me that what I say this morning, what we look at in the word would bless you, would be helpful to you in some way? Would you spend a moment praying? Lord Jesus, we just come before you, God, and we pray, uh, God, for your help in this time. Lord, that, that as we look at your truths, uh, Lord, would you help them to both encourage and challenge us? Lord, would you lift our spirits and would you send us into a direction? And so, Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, so my name is Shane Rosty, and I am the student ministries pastor here at the church. And I, I get the privilege to work with many of our young people here at the church, and I love every minute of it. And this morning, uh, we're going to get just a little snippet of some of the things that we've been going through this last uh, several months. Uh, we've, we've taken this year or this last year and we've gone through 16 people of the Old Testament where we looked at how their lives foreshadowed the coming of Christ. That even in the Old Testament, Jesus is all over that. Like Chad's been teaching uh, that Jesus taught at the road to Emmaus when he told, told two guys on a road that all of the Bible is essentially about him. And so then this year, as we've gotten into these early few months, we've started what we're calling the Jesus Effect. The Jesus Effect. And, and we're looking through 16 people of the New Testament and how their lives were affected by coming in contact with Jesus. And so we're going to jump in. I want to give you uh, the idea behind what we've been teaching. And that is that we are never left the same. We are never left the same when we come in contact with Jesus. And we usually have one of three reactions to Jesus. Our three, our three reactions are to reject Jesus when we meet him or come in contact with him. We ignore Jesus, so we either reject him or we ignore him, or we adore Jesus, or we adore Jesus. And we see these examples in many different people in the New Testament and just a couple of quick passages that we've studied. We've looked at Acts 4.11, that uh, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. We know that stone was Jesus and was rejected by the religious people at the time. We know that, that we, even as believers, can have the tendency to receive Christ and then begin to ignore him. We put on our, our earmuffs, our headphones, and we do life our way, even though uh, we profess faith in Jesus Christ. And here, here's where he says, you become lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, so I spit you out of my mouth. He says that you are a wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and you don't even know it. And so he's, again, talking to Christians here, so we can come into a place Place where we begin to, we, we can be Christians and profess to be Christians, but we can be actively ignoring God. So we reject, we ignore, or we can adore. And we saw this lived out in the life of Stephen early on in, in Acts. 
And uh, we see that we become worshipers in spirit and in truth, in adoration, we praise and worship our God, or um, we can rejoice in inexpressible and glorious joy when we meet Jesus. We can adore him because he's worthy and worth it of our praise. And so that's what we've been, that's kind of the theme for our teaching uh, in the student ministries. We're calling it again, the Jesus Effect. We got a lot to go through, so I'm going to continue to move forward really quickly here. I want to tell you a story. And the story is about a coach in a small town. And there's already a really good football, te- football, ge- or football team in this small town. But this coach, he wants to piece together a team full of misfits and full of scrawny, nerdy kind of people basically like me. Um, And he wants to put this team together, and they're about ready to have their first practice. And lo and behold, one of the teammates rounds the corner ready for practice, and he is duct taped head to toe in foam padding, and he has to waddle up to the, the practice. And he, has, he walks up to coach, he waddles up to the coach, and he says, my mom says the, the pads you gave me weren't enough. <laughs> and you can get this idea of this really silly picture of this scrawny little guy walking up and saying, I'm terrified to play this game. So I added some, some extra protection here so that I would not get hurt. See, I think today as we look at God's calling in our life, we're going to find that a lot of us approach our life with God in a similar way. Where we walk up to God and we say, the promises that you gave me and the protections that you gave me, they're not enough, God. I've added some of my own. But we know as that little guy would try to get out there on the football field, he wouldn't be able to run. He wouldn't be able to catch the ball. Much in the same way, when we, when we spend all of our time and our resources trying to protect ourselves, we miss out on the, on the things that God has for us to participate in. And so with that, we want to look at what then does God call us to do so that we don't, uh, what, is, what is it that God calls us to do so that we don't walk into self-preservation? We're going to look at a passage, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10, or yeah, 1 through 10. So if you'll begin to read with me, God's word says this. So rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted the Lord is good. Coming to him, a living stone rejected by men but chosen and valuable to God. You yourselves, this is amazing, as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. I want you to to latch onto that word or those words, a holy priesthood this morning, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it is contained in Scripture. Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and the stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message 
They were destined for this. But you, but you, but you, us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, as we read that passage, there's a lot in there, but the key theme that I want you to see that's in there twice and is mentioned multiple times in Scripture is this, that we are all called to be priests. We're called to a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. We're all called to the priesthood, and there's a danger then of us corrupting that priesthood if we focus on self-preservation then Jesus becomes a rock of offense to us. So if our focus as priests become preserving ourselves, then Jesus becomes an offense to us, a rock of offense. So this is what we're going to be looking at. As we jump into that, we need to ask the question then, what is a priest? What is a a priest. We've heard this term used. Maybe you're thinking of, of Catholic Church. Maybe you're thinking priest is, is the one who's in charge of the church. Let's, let's ask the question then, what is a priest? If we're all called to be a nation of priests, what is a priest? Priesthood was established by God in the time of Aaron and Moses. If you remember the Exodus, Moses, the guy who parted the Red Sea, he had a brother named Aaron who actually did most of the work and Moses got most of the credit, um, if you read the story, kind of funny. But so Aaron was promoted by God to be the, the first recognized priest in this priesthood for Israel. And he, he, so anybody to come after Aaron had to be in the lineage of Aaron. And so he had to be a descendant, a, a son of uh, Aaron later on. And so the ultimate, when we look at that story in the Old Testament, what we see then begin to be illustrated is that the priest's number one task, so Aaron's number one task in, in the Old Testament with Moses was to be the mediator between God and man, to be, to be an advocate for relationship with God, to be an advocate for restored relationship with God. Their highest task then, Aaron's highest task, a priest's highest task according to scripture is to advocate for restored relationship with God. They did this through sacrifice and standing as representatives of Israel to God and God to Israel. So they were representatives you begin to see some similarities of what Christians are supposed to be, right? We see in Scripture this term ambassador, that we're to be ambassadors of God, that we're to be representatives um, of, of God to the people and, 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 rep, and to the people to God. We no longer use the term priest. Now, this is interesting. If you're uh, in a Protestant church, right, you've noticed that we call our, our guys pastors, and maybe you've gotten those two terms kind of, kind of similarized. Um, but we no longer use the term priest because everybody who typically is, would be like sitting here today, right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're called to the priesthood. You are to be a priest um, under Christ. 
and by Christ. So we no longer use the term priest because we all are priests. It's kind of like the term saint. I don't know if you've ever noticed that like when you're listening to uh, Catholics talk or you're listening to people talk about saints, you think that there's some kind of historical figure that was incredibly holy and beyond us, but yet scripture turns around and he says that if you've been made righteous through Jesus Christ, you're a saint. You're a saint. You're a saint and you're a priest. Man, those are incredible titles, aren't they? You can call yourself a saint and a priest. Hey, turn to a believer in the room right now and say, you are a saint. <laughs> Especially the wives in the room, you can turn to them and say, you're a saint and you're a priest. You're a saint and you're a priest. So we've answered what is a priest. You know, funny enough, there, there were three perspectives, three varied perspectives on what a priest was, even in Jesus' day. When Jesus came onto the scene, the culture had defined the priesthood many years after Aaron in three main different ways. And I think if you listen to these, you're going to see that there's some similarities on how we view Christianity today and how they view the priesthood. The three views started with the Sadducees. The Sadducees, maybe you've heard some jokes about these guys. You see, they were sad, you see. Um, these guys were Sadducees, and these were guys that were from the lineage of Aaron, and they viewed the priesthood as, a, as more of a political position, more as a political position of prestige. They were born into it. Uh, they, they had a lot of power. They had more people, more people in authority that backed them. So they were like a political, uh, more of a political identity. And so they viewed the priesthood as something to manage today is something to manage today, something to help governance today, something that was purely a political movement. And you think about today, many people view Christianity in terms of this, don't they? That it's purely a political agenda. It's purely, a, a pol it's about political prestige. And so we can relate to the Sadducees and, and see they had control of the temple. The Sadducees are the ones who had probably the most religious authority and they were the governing, they would be seen as the governing body. So you had this purely political view of the priesthood from the, from the terms of the Sadducees. And then you had the Pharisees' view of the priesthood, the Pharisees' view of the priesthood. And these were, life, these were people who were more by lifestyle and layman. They looked at the priesthood as more of a lifestyle and the layman. These are guys who they, they be, would, would view the priesthood under terms of education and choice. These are the guys who established school like you cannot believe. There were actually three levels of, of early Pharisaical or Jewish upbringing. And the first level and the second level and get this, kids, if you're out there uh, and you're complaining about school, get this. In Jesus' time, by the age of 10, you, if you were growing up in Jewish synagogue, you would have to have memorized the first five books of the Bible. You were supposed to have memorized if you were going to progress on to the third level of Jewish uh, education. And so you, you think you got it bad now, right? Mathematics doesn't sound so bad uh, when you think about having to memorize Leviticus, Am I right? Um, so, so they view the priesthood under terms of education and choice. You, you were educated and you walked into being a Pharisee or a representative of God to the people um, via education and via choice. And it came through strict adherence to the Old Testaments. 
to the Old Testament laws. And you think about there was one guy who was a Pharisee who later on became a believer. His name was Paul. And if you didn't, if you, and he, if you know, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, so he wasn't from the lineage of Aaron. And so he couldn't be a Sadducee, but he would become a Pharisee by education, by study, and by choice, by progressing forward in his studies and his educations. And so we see this, these people wanted, wanted to be seen as good and righteous and holy people. Their view of the priesthood then was look at me, be like me, and practice life the way that I practice life. You see a similarity there to current Christians today. We can have that perspective. If you would just be good like me, then you could be a Christian. But we know that's maybe not the right perspective to have. And so you have the Sadducees, purely political. The Pharisees, purely about being good and impressive to others. And then you had these guys called the Essenes. And their, their view of the priesthood was, well, these guys were the doomsday preppers before the show started. Um, these guys would remove themselves from society, they would prepare for the end of days, and they would try to preserve the word of God. In fact, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls today, if you've ever researched that, if you haven't, check it out. It's a huge affirmation of the scriptures that we have today, but they preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, for us, they went into a desert and they just did purification rituals and bathings and they wrote scripture continually and they copied it over and over and over and they removed themselves from society because they didn't want to be tarnished by the evils of our culture and of the society at the time. Do you guys know any Christians like that? And get those evil people away from me. I don't want to be anywhere. I'm going to listen to Christian music. And I'm, I'm going to put myself in a Christian bubble. And I don't ever want to come. In. We, can, we can start to see some of that perspective as well today in Christianity. Now, while all three of these perspectives weren't necessarily absolutely wrong, they also weren't right. All three of these perspectives in Jesus' time weren't absolutely wrong, but they also weren't weren't correct according to what we see in, in Jesus. And we're going to see that later on. So the chief priesthood, a priest was supposed to be someone who advocated for right relationship with God. This was modeled, best modeled in one day of the year, the chief priest. And he would go into the Holy of Holies. This is in the temple. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would be the mediator between God and, and Israel. He alone went into the Holy Holies one day a year before the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. This is Yom Kippur. Maybe you've heard of this. Yom Kippur. To offer a sacrifice of sin, a sacrifice uh, uh, for sin, seeking forgiveness and restoration for all of Israel after extensive purification rituals. And so he had to wear the right clothes. He had to get himself purified and ready. There were all these ceremonies before he could go in and offer this sacrifice to receive forgiveness for the whole nation. He was representing the whole nation, all of Israel, before God, trying to make them right with God. It was a very serious and solemn task that required a lot of symbolic action of cleansing. We know that from what God asked Aaron to do specifically. And if you're a Bible study person, look at Leviticus 16, read verses 1 through 9, and you'll see what Aaron had to do just to go into and to be a representative, uh, be a representative uh, of uh, Israel before God. But it was on this one day on Yom Kippur, as we look at, the, again, the life of the chief priest to see what a priesthood ought to look like. It is in the, that ceremony, Yom Kippur, that Israel's covenant faith 
is seen most clearly. Israel's religion was one of relationship with a holy God. And human evil disrupted that relationship. While all, all worship and sacrifices throughout the year were concerned with the continuation of the relationship, the Day of Atonement was the most solemn day of the year in which the attention of all people focused on the meaning of their existence. Man, we need to do that more, don't we? And most of us don't stop and think about that, but it was a day where they were to think upon or focus upon the meaning of their existence. See, to the, Israel life, to the Israelites, life only held meaning if relationship with God could be maintained. The high priest, here's for us, guys, the high priest had the great honor and heavy burden of seeking God's mercy for all of Israel. The high priest had the great honor and heavy burden of seeking God's mercy for all Israel. And that's not totally different from what our calling is as Christians, isn't it? We're to, to seek the mercy for all people by telling them about the mercy that came through Jesus Christ. Through what he did. This is our task as priests. In today's church, we're to bear the great honor and heavy burden of seeking God's mercy for all of Israel. Now, I believe the Bible is a really good mirror into who we are. See, if you've noticed about a lot of the old, old, a lot of the people in Scripture, they tend to be a mixed bag, don't they? They have a mixed bag, like they do some good things, they do some bad things. A lot of times they're bad, outweighs they're good, right? They're kind of a mixed bag. The reason why God gives us such a clear picture into people in Scripture is because it's to be a mirror reflecting in on us. And that many of the characteristics that they have are the characteristics that we see in ourselves, right? And so when we look at a lot of this, the people in Scripture, today we're going to look specifically at the life of Caiaphas, the, chi the chief priest. Caiaphas, the chief priest. And we're going to look at what went wrong with his priesthood and translate that to what could go wrong with our priesthood and how we can make it right. So he corrupted his purpose. If you know Caiaphas was the chief priest he was chief priest during the time that, that Jesus was crucified. So he was a part of the decision to see Jesus dead, um, to see him put on a cross. And I have a little video here. We'll see if it plays very well, um, but I want to share this with you. There's some cool things we know, and we actually have Caiaphas' remains. And so we know that he was a real, real person. And so if you would, let's watch this uh, video. Caiaphas, the high priest, made his position clear to the religious authorities. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. John 11, 47 through 50. Protecting his own power and preserving public order were now his highest priorities. And Caiaphas knew that Jesus must die. Caiaphas was the Jewish high priest who served in Jerusalem from about 18 to 36 AD. History tells us that he was the son-in-law of Annas and likely from the tribe of Levi. 
as a member of the Jewish priestly class. He was a part of the sect of the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees had priestly but also political and judicial roles. The other main religious group was the Pharisees, and they focused more on religious laws and teaching in local synagogues. Now, the Sadducees tended to be corrupted by money, and they were more interested in the political power and benefits from their close ties with the Romans. Caiaphas, who served as the high priest at the temple in Jerusalem, is an important historical anchor for three of the Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. He is also attested in the writings of Roman historian Flavius Josephus, where Josephus attests to his name, position, and time of service as high priest. Interestingly, Josephus specifies that he was Joseph, son of Caiaphas, but that he was also known as Joseph, who was called Caiaphas. This explains why the Gospels merely use the name Caiaphas. The name Joseph, son of Caiaphas, is also found on an ossuary or a bone box found just outside the walls of first century Jerusalem. In 1990, a tomb was accidentally discovered during a construction project and subsequently excavated. Twelve ossuaries were found inside the rock-cut tomb, two of which contained the family name Caiaphas. The ossuary, inscribed with Joseph, son of Caiaphas, was particularly ornate. Inside, remains of six individuals were discovered, including a man about 60 years old. So, um, we see that, that Caiaphas um, was there during the time of Jesus. And I want to look specifically, um, just in the interest of time, I'm going to put these passages up. Not all of them will go through, but I want to look specifically at Jesus addressing the current Pharisees and scribes um, and, and lumping, obviously, Caiaphas into that group. They corrupted their purpose. We're going to look at Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Uh, if you want to look at what Caiaphas said specifically, uh, about Jesus and how he was supposed to die, um, then look there in uh, John eleven forty nine through 53. But here are the chief priests or priestly passages uh, that have to do in the New Testament uh, with what the priesthood looked like. Let's look there then at Matthew 23, 1 through 12. I'm going to read this. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be observed by others. I want you to, again, just... Look at that passage, to be observed, to be observed. They did everything to be observed, to be seen. They enlarged their phylacteries and lengthened their tassels. The phylacteries were these boxes on their head. They wanted to be seen. They, they addressed their clothing so that they could be seen as even more righteous. The, they love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greeting in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by the people. But as for you, and so here's where he turns to the, the disciples at the time, but as for you, do not be called rabbi because you have one teacher. You are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. And do not be called masters either because you have one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, whoever exalts himself 
will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so, as we think about, in terms of our priesthood, the things that, that Caiaphas and, the, and the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes at the time went wrong, is they turned their priesthood into something that was self-elevating. Self-elevating. Their issue was that they wanted to be impressive. They wanted to be seen as good people. But we know that Jesus points out some hard things in us, doesn't he? And oftentimes the first thing he shows us is how not righteous we are. And so a Christian who is practicing priesthood is someone who recognizes that they were the ones in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. Not somebody who thinks that they're a good person, but somebody who knows that they aren't a good person and needed the perfect person, Jesus, to pay the penalty or the price for their sin. See, Christians, we're not good people, and I think if you spend any length of time thinking about Christians in general, you're probably shaking your head like, man, we struggle with this being good consistently, don't we? That's our human nature, but see, Jesus shows us that when we begin to practice the priesthood, it becomes less about us and more about him. This is where John, I think of uh, John the Baptist, he said, I must decrease as he increases, right? He's, he's saying that I must decrease while Jesus increases in my life. This is this idea a priest humble, is, humbles himself and lets God do the exalting. Let's God do the exalting. So for us, um, something to learn then from the life of Caius, Caiaphas, the life of the priests, and the life um, that these people who put Jesus to death was this. We need to fight the need to self-preserve. It's a natural human trait, isn't it? From early on, even as kids, as I watch my kids, like, like they'll build Legos and then they'll preserve those from everybody else. And they'll like, or they'll get like the candy. You guys know the kids that they get the candy and they'll hide it, make sure that other kids can't get what they have. Right? This is a human nature that develops in us for a long time, but we have to fight that fleshly need to self-preserve, to self-preserve. See, Jesus is the rock of offense because he offended our flesh nature that says we ought to care for ourselves above everybody else. He sets a new normal for the Christian. He says we were bought to care for others as more important than ourselves. So for us today, what does this mean for us today? I want to propose that we redeem our quarantine. We redeem our quarantine. It's good that, that we are in quarantine. There's no shame in that. But there is a way that we can do quarantine to advocate for relationship with Christ, isn't there? There's a way that in our quarantine we can do things like fill others' freezers before we fill our freezers. And we're running out of Walmart with like two huge bags of TP um, that the, those are for some other people. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, church, I want to thank you, and I was going to do this. Um, I, I've heard story after story after story of our members doing things like this, redeeming their quarantine, advocating for one another, advocating for others. Um, how about this? In your quarantine, redeeming quarantine, this is how we can be priests even within this time of quarantine to advocate for relationship with Jesus. Instead of just seeking to be entertained, we can look to help others and to entertain others even, can't we? We can seek to entertain others. 
Um, how about calling and texting, man? I've heard so many of you out there, they're like, I have been calling, I have been texting, I have been praying with people. It's one of my favorite things to do is I'll call. You, you know you probably received a call from me or one of the interns, and we call, and we just want to pray for you because we want to be priestly. We want to be advocating and redeeming our quarantine by advocating your relationship with Jesus. We want to ask you. Um, everybody's asking how you are. Is anybody asking how you're doing with Jesus? Is anybody asking how you're doing with Jesus? Um, how about Zoom calling just to read scripture with each other out loud? Uh, Paul encouraged Timothy, right, to devote himself to the public reading of scripture. What if we got on a Zoom and we just, man, we just got into God's word and we read it out loud to one another? Redeem your quarantine. Call and share with someone else what God is teaching you today. This is more time to be thinking, to be pondering your existence, to actually wonder why I exist. What is the reason for my existence? As it turns out, if you're a Christian, the reason for your existence is to advocate, again, for relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can see that in the scriptures over and over and over. Um, some of you, I, I, this is something I heard about some of our members TPing each other's houses. And by TPing, I mean leaving TP on the front door for somebody else, right? And so we're doing um, some of these things, church. Thank you. Thank you. And for those of us, let's continue to be creative in redeeming our quarantine, remembering that our purpose is to advocate for restored relationship with Jesus. My, my biggest heart, my biggest fear is that we as Christians would stop being around, serving, and sharing the gospel with our neighbors. Because that is the truest and best thing we have to offer. Everything else, moth and rust, destroy. But when we offer somebody the gospel with those things, we offer them eternal life and forgiveness and restoration with God. So... How have we corrupted our priesthood as Christians? How do we do this? We do this when we make it about building our will, when we tell other people to be good like us and to think like us, when we want other people to have the same type of thoughts and to do life the same way we do. We're building our will and not Christ's will. See, it was for freedom that he set us free. Scripture provides a lot of room for there to be a lot of variance in how people do life as long as it's lived to Christ, right? I can do all things to the glory of God. That means the church gets to be very varied, very varied. Um, and we do that when we're not just building our will, telling people to be like us, but instead saying, be what Jesus is doing in you. Um, so may, when we make it about building our will, that's when we corrupt our, our priesthood. Next, we, when we make it about performance, when we make it about performance, when we hold other people to, uh, to as, the, as the Pharisees were doing, when, they, when we hold them to expectations, when we hold other people to expectations, that are not from scripture, that are not from God. We just want them to follow the same rules and the, the lines that we're following. This is when we begin to, to, to uh, corrupt our priesthood, when we make it more about performance, when we make it more about being seen or having success or achieving the American, the American dream. When we think about the culture that we've created, you think about the statement that Americans love the most is um, the pursuit of happiness. Is that a Christian's pursuit, the pursuit of happiness? Um, I, I think there's some at odds with what scripture, we want our highest happiness, if you will, is Jesus Christ. The term there, um, happiness can be deceiving, I guess, in the way that we apply it. Uh, we tend to think it's our happiness, um, in the world today, which is the same way the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have, 
uh, interpreted that. How about when we uh, make it about having the good life? I think I just elaborated on that. When we make it about having just a good life, we want a good retirement, we want uh, a good job, when we just make it about these menial things, remember that those are a means to advocating for relationship with Jesus, right? Your job is a means to advocate. It's the ship that carries the good news of the gospel. Um, what you do is the means through which we share the gospel. That is our highest task as priests of the Most High God. So when you graduate, maybe it's going to college, you're going to college, again, not just to have a really big salary, but again, to glorify God. Having or living a good life, this is how we corrupt, um, or seeking having a good life uh, can be how uh, we corrupt our priesthood. And when we make it about getting, when we make it about getting stuff, when we make it about getting our way, when we make it about getting um, what we want, that's when we corrupt our priesthood. See, we serve the one who recovered the priesthood, who recovered the priesthood from the chief priests who killed him at the time, and that was Jesus. And uh, Chad has been going through this with, uh, with, uh, with us in Hebrews, hasn't he? Talking about how Jesus has restored the priesthood, that he is the, the, the new high priest. He is the one who has set the priesthood right in Hebrews 3, 1, right? He is the high priest. Hebrews 5, he sets the priesthood right. There's no more priests over one another because our great high priest and Jesus is the one who stands in the gap between us and God. Now all of us are declared his brothers and sisters, and we are the priests. And so we serve the Jesus priest who said this, the one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's a hard one to chew, but man, this is the priesthood that he has called us to. So, you have been given the office of priest through Jesus Christ, and it is now up to you not to corrupt your purpose as a Christian. Not to corrupt your purpose as a Christian. So what does that mean for us? Remember and know the purpose of your priesthood. If you're a believer here today, God has called you. We talk about specific calling to an individual. And this is a general calling to all believers. Just like the Great Commission, go therefore and make the disciples, that, that isn't just a specific calling, that's to all Christians. Our calling is to be priests, to advocate for restored relationship with Jesus. Uh, do your best to tear down boundaries between God and man. Instead of creating boundaries between God and man, do your best to tear those boundaries down. A lot of times Christians are offensive for offense sake. Jesus is offensive enough. If you just speak his words and live his life, I, you're going to offend some people. You don't need to try to be extra offensive. Right? He says that the world will hate him and has hated him before it hated us. Don't try to be offensive. Don't create more boundaries between God and man. I'm a, uh, so what? let go of self-preservation for Jesus' elevation. That's kind of catchy, right? Let go of self-preservation for Jesus' elevation. Instead of trying to preserve the, your way of life like Caiaphas was, begin to elevate Christ as more important than your way of doing things, than your governance. Let go of self-preservation for Jesus' elevation and make sure to point all people to Jesus and not to yourself. Point people to Jesus and not to yourself. Uh, many of us as Christians spend so much time trying to get people to bought, bought into us and who we are. That's not our goal. Our goal is to say, it's not about me, and if you don't like me, that's fine, or if you don't like things about me, I'm kind of nerdy. <laughs> but 
Jesus is the one who matters here. Jesus is the one who matters here. Know the purpose of your priesthood. Um, guys, let me pray for you. Um, thank you for dialing in. Thank you for, for, for praying um, for us. And, uh, and guys, continue to be the church to one another. Redeem your quarantine. Redeem your quarantine. Um, and walk as the priests, the royal priesthood, the holy nation that God has called us to be. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters out there. Would you encourage them today? What a privilege it is. I can't believe, God, that you speak the word saint and priest over us. Now, God, I pray that we would just live from the place of that identity, that you are the one who gave us that identity. Now we just live from it. And so, Lord, I just pray that for my brothers and sisters here. God, I praise you for their creativity in serving one another in this really strange time that we live in. Um, God, would you encourage those who maybe are feeling alone, who are feeling broken, who are looking for ways to relieve the stress and anxiety of this time. Lord, I pray that you would put your people there to speak the relief. You tell us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. God, help us to take off the burdens that are not ours and to walk in the relief and the peace that comes when we have right relationship with you. Lord, I pray that in your great and holy name, Jesus. Amen. I love you guys out there. Have a wonderful week.